Hello, you're listening to the Audio Journal of Medicine, and this is a news programme coming directly from the 2007 Congress of the European Society of Cardiology. I'm Derek Thorne. We've got interviews with some of the leading investigators here at the conference, and coming up we'll have some news on drug-eluting stents in chronic total occlusions and enoxaparin for patients with myocardial infarction. First, though, the Prague 8 study has challenged ESC guidelines that suggest you should pre-treat all your patients with chronic stable angina having coronary angiography with clopidogrel. The study randomised patients into two groups, a non-selective group where all patients receive clopidogrel before angiography and a selective group where only the patients expected to have subsequent PCI receive clopidogrel after angiography. Nicholas Solomon spoke with Peter Viumski and first asked him what prompted his group to question the guideline. Well, these ESC guidelines were published in 2005 and the recommendation in this particular point, uh, clopidogrel before elective coronary angiography or PCI, was different from our daily practice. And our daily practice was the same as Group B in this trial. And guidelines, new guidelines approach in 2005 was as Group A in this trial. So it was quite natural that when we have read the new guidelines, we said, well, th- there is no evidence. The guidelines say this is no evidence. This is just expert consensus. So we should uh, test this and give the evidence whether the guidelines are, are right or whether we are right. So how exactly did you do your study? We invited four other PCI centers in the Czech Republic to participate. So this is a multi-center trial with five PCI centers in Czech Republic participating. And we prepared the protocol of the trial. It was approved by the ethical committees and by the central ethical committee. And then we just started to randomize. What patients did you include? We include patients who came to the hospital for planned elective coronary angiography. Did you find anything that challenged the ESC guidelines or were your results in accordance with them? Well, we were surprised by the results. We expected that uh, we will find decrease in periprocedural ischemic complications with clopidogrel non-selective pretreatment, as is the guidelines approach, and we didn't expect much difference in bleeding complications. But the opposite is true. The, The results surprised us. And the benefit from clopidogrel pretreatment in this chronic stable population, and I repeat it once more, this is a big difference with acute coronary syndromes. So the, the benefit from clopidogrel pretreatment for everybody before coronary angiography was very small on ischemic peripheral complications like peripheral infarction, troponin elevation. And on the other hand, the increase in bleeding complications was three times higher in the overall population and even ten times higher in the PCI subgroup. So actually we, we found that the guideline approach is not justified and that our old approach is probably better for the patients. Do you suggest that we should go back to the old approach and what do you think doctors should be doing around the world? Well, I'm pretty sure we should uh, we should uh, keep our old approach, and the the explanation is quite simple. Patients who are coming for uh, elective planned coronary angiography, those are chronic stable patients who have not especially activated platelets. So the risk of periprocedural thrombotic complications is very low in this population. And on the other hand, if we give them clopidogrel loading 20 hours before PCI and then we face more uh, local bleeding complications from the groin, for instance. So that's the the problem. And the key to understand these results is that in the guideline approach group, in group A, 
every patient received clopidogrel. It was a non-selective approach. And in the B group, in the selective approach group, only those patients who underwent PCI received clopidogrel, what was about 35% of the population. What do you think the main point from this study is? I think the main point is to be quite conservative in antithrombotic treatment for chronic stable angina pectoris patients undergoing uh, coronary angiography. But on the other hand, we cannot extrapolate these results to acute coronary syndromes. Acute coronary syndromes is a very different story and their clopidogrel per treatment must be given to everybody. That was Petr Wiemski, head of the Cardio Centre at the Charles University, Prague. And for a comment on this study, I spoke to Eckhart Fleck of Deutsche Zentrum in Berlin. So the question was, is it sufficient if you make a decision that there is an intervention needed and possible, that you then treat the patient directly with clopidogrel and then achieve all the positive results which you would like to see and which you would expect. And uh, the study shows it is so and you don't have to treat everybody and, and this has an impact in, in such that you do not have to pre-treat everyone just in case that an intervention would be needed. So usually you would expect that uh, for a diagnostic procedure you only find, let me say, 30% or even less or sometimes a little more patients where you can really do something and, and then you would have had given over-treatment and lost money uh, in half of the patients, which, which is useless and possibly dangerous because uh, for bleeding complications this has some impact, of course. So on that study by Professor Vidimsky, should that change clinical practice? Yes, it, it should, and it will change also the very unprecautious <laughs> guideline which uh, says you should pre-treat everybody if, if you plan to, to do an intervention anyhow. Eckhart Fleck speaking there. Enoxeparin for patients with ST elevation myocardial infarction is still superior to unfractionated heparin after 12-month follow-up. This finding comes out of the latest data from the Extract TIMI 25 study, which looked at over 20,000 patients. Sarah Maxwell spoke with David Morrow of the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, and he began by explaining the study. This was the uh, randomized, placebo-controlled, um, double-dummy design uh, to evaluate uh, enoxaparin versus our current contemporary standard of care in the most robust and stringent way possible. And how many patients did you look at and which patients were involved? Sure. So we enrolled 20,000 patients with ST elevation myocardial infarction uh, who all presented within six hours and were being treated with a pharmacologic reperfusion strategy. So you did a straight randomization between enoxaparin and unfractionated heparin. Did you see that there was any superiority in favor of enox? So the primary results that we presented before and uh, published in the New England Journal of Medicine showed superiority of the enoxaparin strategy for the primary endpoint of death or myocardial infarction. This, the data that we presented today showed that that effect was durable through one year of follow-up. Are these results enough to push towards a new direction in the approach to this disease? Well, I think they add to the already existing data that showed that there is a sustained benefit and to us showed that the use of the enoxaparin strategy is preferable to uh, the use of unfractionated heparin. 
And is it preferable in all settings? Well, our study specifically addressed those patients uh, undergoing fibrinolytic therapy, and I think we have to restrict the implications to that population. So this is a strategy that you're looking at here with the ENOX. Um, how can you elaborate on that for me? Yeah, so that's an important aspect of the design to recognize that because anoxaparin can be given more conveniently subcutaneously for longer duration, the strategy was administration from the point that the patient arrived through eight days or hospital to discharge, whichever came first. Unfractionated heparin was administered per our current standard of care, which is at least 48 hours. So the benefits that we saw in this study in reducing recurrent ischemic events may come from both using a uh, superior agent as well as the extension of the duration of anticoagulation. What are, if any, the clinical downsides? There is an increased risk of bleeding that was observed early on. Uh, there was no additional bleeding that was studied beyond the duration of the drug, uh, and we found that there was no impact or adverse impact on long-term mortality, uh, but that bleeding risk should be considered in treating as with any other antithrombotic patient. And in your opinion, that risk of bleeding, is it worth taking that risk for the benefits? Well, the way we evaluated that was with some pre-specified endpoints that look at net clinical benefit. They take into account both the reduction in ischemic events as well as the bleeding. And net clinical benefit favored the anoxaparin strategy in each of the ways that we evaluated, both early on at 30 days and at one year. So this is an extremely large study where you've been able to show that these results are durable at 12 months follow-up. What's the bottom line coming out of this? That these data, together with the primary results, support the use of the anoxaparin strategy over unfractionated heparin. That was David Morrow from the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. Now, in chronic total occlusions, the issue of using a drug-eluting stent versus a bare metal stent is a no-brainer, so says Gerald Werner of Klinikum Darmstadt in Germany, who presented data at the ESC in Vienna. His team looked at a series of patients treated with the Taxa stent and compared them with matched patients who received bare metal stents. And when I spoke to him, I asked him for more on this PACTO trial. PACTO's study's um, main objective was to test the effectiveness of drug-eluting stents in a very complex or the most complex lesion subset that we treat with coronary angioplasty, that is chronically occluded arteries. We know that in chronically occluded arteries, the rate of re-stenosis or even re-occlusion, so failure of the procedure, is extremely high with conventional balloon angioplasty and also with conventional stenting. Give a number, for example, you can estimate that every second patient will re-stenose or re-occlude after treatment. So this is very frustrating. So we started with drag-eluting stent in these uh, patients. We used the Texas Express platform and observed over a first six months angiographic assessment of these patients and then now the later clinical follow-up that we could dramatically reduce this late recurrence of lesions and reocclusions in this patient subset. So how many patients were involved initially and how many are there now? Uh, initially, we, we started with 48 patients for just the angiographic uh, analysis. This sounds very small, but as we have patient subset with enormously high event rates, so even a small study has a high power uh, to detect differences. Then we increased the size to 
about 100 patients now for the long-term clinical follow-up. And now, uh, as this stand is no longer available, we extended and included the following platform, the Texas Liberty. So we observe now a total group of about 200 patients. Okay, and at this stage you've got three years follow-up. What, what are you seeing? Uh, after three years we see a very small rate of late events, the late stent thrombosis that is so much talked about and feared with drug eluting stent. It occurred in 3%, so maybe every one year one event occurred and of course we would hope that this someday stops. But despite these late events, the enormous benefit was still the same amount after one year and after three years. So it's an absolute benefit for the patient to use the drug eluting stent in this subset. And what is the quantity of that benefit? Quantity is uh, you reduce the events uh, by an absolute number of 40% absolute, which is, as you compare it to non-occluded lesions, it's about 10%. And the relative risk reduction is in the range of 70 to 80%. So should this act as a reassurance to doctors using drug eluting stents? At least uh, they should, if they are hard on their budget, as we are in Germany, they should really select patients who benefit most. And uh, to put it in another uh, kind of numbers, you need to treat only three patients with a drug eluting stent to prevent an event which would otherwise occur if you use a normal stent. So the risk-benefit ratio is one of the highest in coronary artery disease in occluded arteries. So absolutely this is a no-brainer to use drug eluting stents in total occlusions. Gerald Werner of Klinikum Darmstadt in Germany. And that's all for this news brief coming from the ESC meeting here in Vienna. But we'll have more soon, so until then, it's goodbye.